the famous people... Let me go to our next slide here, yes. Out of all the famous people in the world, whose kid would you want to be and why? Okay? Discuss. Okay, I know this is a really deep question. You need a lot of time to think about it. But give me some feedback. Whose family would you want to be a part of? Yes. Emily Dickinson. Um, Who is Emily Dickinson? No, no, I'm asking for everyone out there that doesn't know. Isn't she like a... Is she still alive? No. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Okay, so why? Why Emily Dickinson? She's a poet. Okay? Which means she's probably not wealthy. So, but anybody else? Snoop Dogg. Which, Snoop Dogg's probably adopted a lot of children. Not really adopted, but created. Yes. Bono? Bono. Yeah, that'd be a good, that'd be a good dad. He'd probably sing to you at night while you're trying to sleep. Uh, who else? The Beckhams. Like Victorian David Beckham. David Beckham. Okay. Um, and he's got three really cool little boys, too. That's, that's what I've heard. Who else? Michael Jackson. Moving on. Who else? Mother Teresa. This is like the spiritual table over here, man. Mother Teresa. Wow. That's awesome. I don't need to ask why because... I don't need to ask why because it's obvious why you said Mother Teresa. Uh, Jesus. Like, Jesus or Jesus? Like, who are you referring to? Okay. Anyone else? I know you've thought about this before. You, you've looked, watched TV and thought, I wish I was a part of that family, right? Uh, anybody here ever wish you could trade in your family? Only a few of you. Well, I'm, I'm really impressed. You guys love your family. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you really have, maybe you have really thought how awesome it would be. Listen up. Maybe you really have thought how awesome it would be to be adopted by someone else's family, whether it be someone famous or whether it be someone that is even in your circle. Maybe you have a friend who uh, their parents seem really cool, and, and, and maybe, maybe it's just something very real to you. Maybe, maybe like your parents are not together, or maybe uh, that other family just seems to have more of a spiritual focus that you want in your life, and you feel like, I wish I could be part of that family, Right? I think all of us have felt that way uh, to a certain extent. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the idea of spiritual adoption. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who uh, claims to be a Christian and you are following after Christ, you've trusted Christ, uh, you've recognized in your own life that you are separated from God because of your sin, and because of that separation, you need to trust in Christ and His perfect work on the cross for your salvation. Not your own works, but His perfect work on the cross for your salvation. If you've come to that place in your life, then the Bible says that you have been adopted. That that God has adopted you. And and so as great as it might sound to be in that family or to be that wealthy or to be that famous, to be that privileged, 
it, it still doesn't quite compare to the adoption offered to us by God. So we're going to look at uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 26. Turn your Bibles if you have them with you. Galatians 3, uh, verse 26. We'll start there. And guys, I know we put the words on the screen, but just bring your Bibles, because I think it's, it's good when you have the words in front of you. And uh, whenever I say something really profound, you can, like, underline a passage or write next to it or something like that. Like, quote, by Dave, right? Right, next to, right in the margins. Uh, verse 26, Galatians chapter 3. Here's what this, verse, this first verse says. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In his first phrase, he says, You are all, all, all of you. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, let me ask you something. Morgan, uh, are you a son of God? Are you a son of God? Really? Okay, you're a son of God. Cassie, are you a son of God? Are you a son of God? Just answer yes or no. Ariel, are you a son of God? Okay, this verse says, all of you, all of you are sons of God. Okay? And so if you're a girl here this morning, you might feel kind of left out of the equation. But let me me just tell you, Paul is not being a male chauvinist here. He's not being a pig. Don't worry. By using only male language. Okay? But if you have a problem being called a son, let me explain to you why Paul uses the word son in this passage. You see, in that day, woman, if you were female back in Paul's day, you could not receive inheritance from anyone. If there was a wealthy, if you had a wealthy father, you had a brother, and you were his sister, the inheritance would go to your brother. I'm sorry. That's just the way it was. And as a woman, you're kind of left out in the dark. You were kind of like a second-class citizen. I'm sorry to say. That's just the way it was. So they couldn't receive any inheritance. Only sons could. Only sons could do that. And, and so Paul is using these words intentionally to say that you are all sons in Jesus Christ, meaning that you all have access to the inheritance. You all have the same equal access to the inheritance offered by Jesus Christ. And so people all the time say things like, you know, in Christianity... Uh, they oppress women. People say, they look back on history and they say, well, you know, Christianity has a history of oppressing women, therefore I don't want to be a Christian, it has a bad rap. And, and honestly, part of that's true. People have used religion to oppress people for many years, and they've, they've done it to women especially. But there's no question, if you look back on real history, that historically Christianity raised women to a new level. They actually raise women on equal status with men. And so when Paul is saying this, this is a powerful statement that he's making to the Galatians. He's saying that, that it's, not, it's, it's no longer you as a daughter are, are left in the shadows as a second-class citizen. But I am raising you up to, to be on equal footing with the men that are around you. That, that you can be an heir in Christ. You can be adopted by God fully as his son and receive the same rights and privileges as a Christian that a man can as well. It's powerful words. Then Paul goes on to say another statement in the same passage. 
He says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And when you think of clothing yourself with Christ, it's kind of a weird word picture. So your next uh, discussion question is this. Verse 27 says, All Christians have clothed themselves with Christ. What do you think Paul means by this analogy? Picture just the idea of wearing clothing and, and what that looks like and what it might mean for the analogy of what it means to follow after Christ. Discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. What does Paul mean? Okay, what did you guys come up with? What, is, what do you think it means to be clothed with Christ? What? That's really good. If you didn't hear what he said, uh, Eric, over here. You can raise your hand, Eric. You can take credit for this. Uh, he said it's kind of like maybe like a fire blanket, like it's one of those blankets that you might wear in a fire. Is that even, do they even have those? Yeah, I guess they do. And I just heard stop, drop, and roll. Like, don't go get your fire blanket and wear it. While you, yeah, I never heard that before. But, yeah, so it, it protects you from being consumed. By the world. Yes, what were you going to say? <laughs> it's not like the Snuggie that you wear. They should make a Snuggie that is a fire blanket. I'd buy that. I'd pay twice as much for that. Um, okay. Well, moving on. What else? What else? What does it mean to be clothed with Christ? And that's Metro, too. Scarves for Metro. That's for your girls. Okay. 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 So you're like getting real specific here about this is like the armor of God taking on a whole new level. Okay. Okay. Bell bottom because they're old school. Yes, Jake. Okay. a really good way of looking at it. Uh, there's, there's two things I want you to get from this analogy that Paul uses. The first one is this. That our, our identity is in Christ. Now, uh, you've heard that before, but I'm going to explain what this means in more detail. Um, if you look around you, and if you, you have certain friends that you kind of label as, he's a prep, that's the jocks, they're emo, they are whatever, 
the country western crowd, NASCAR. Uh, you got you got people that are that are known for the for what they wear, right? There's, I mean, you guys are known for what you wear. I mean, no one's neutral. No one's neutral in what they wear. Everyone has a a meaning behind what they wear. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's just the way it is, right? So, what you wear, what you wear shows who you are in many ways. I mean, the people the people that you identify with, you tend to dress like them. It's not a bad thing. It's just the way that we walk through life. I mean, uh, some of you ladies have probably been mistaken before for being sisters, even though you're not, because they're like, y'all kind of look alike, you know, and it's really because you do your hair the same and you wear the same clothes, and it's just, people mistake you for that because you, you look identical, you look similar. And, and so it's true that, that what you wear shows who you are, okay? And, and so, in, in fact, I'll even... Uh, Give you a little history lesson. Uh, when I was about your age, um, the music that was really big was called uh, grunge rock, and it was like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, bands like that, and bands that you still think are cool, I might add. So yeah, my generation. And uh, but here's here's what was funny is that the grunge style was real simple. Uh, guys would wear like big baggy jeans, a chain wallet, and like a flannel shirt. It was really random. It'd be like if you merged like a biker gang with a bunch of lumberjacks. That's kind of what it looked like, okay? And so it's real simple, but that was the style. But but my dad would make fun of people like that all the time, and, and not just make fun of what they were wearing, but make fun of the fact that they need to identify in such a way and have this identical clothing. But the funny thing is, is that he wore cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And I thought, well, Dad, you're still identifying with someone. You're still dressing like someone, right? You're still wearing the uniform that says, this is who I am as a person. And so everyone can say, what you wear shows who you are. And so when you take this picture of what it means to be clothed with Christ, it means that your identity, the thing that supersedes everything else as far as who you are, it's your identity in Christ. Your identity is found in Him. It's like you're clothed with Him. Okay? Second thing, Christ is close. Obviously your clothing is pretty close to your body. Unless you're like a bubble boy and, a, you know, whatever. But it's, it's, it's pretty close to your body. Okay? You carry your clothing everywhere within reason. And, uh, and so in a sense, Christ is close to us. Christ is close. He's, he's always present with us if you're a believer. To be clothed with Christ means that you carry him everywhere. You wear Christ as your identity. Now, now this goes beyond, I know some Christians think they need to display their passion for Christ by wearing a Christian t-shirt. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just prefer not to. And, uh, but, but some Christians will say, I need to show them a Christian by wearing a Christian t-shirt. I would argue that if you need to wear a Christian t-shirt to show that you're a Christian, then you're not really wearing Christ. Okay? So we put on Christ, we clothe Him. It actually affects our character, as Jake there was saying in the back. Look at uh, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Now, he's not saying that, you know, there's no longer male nor female. You're all hermaphrodites. You're all just, you know, you're all a bunch of pats, and you're all a bunch of, you know, just asexual. He's not saying that, okay? Just so you know. He's, uh, what he's saying is that these words he's using are very powerful. Here's what he's saying. He's saying because, because you have this new identity in Christ, because you have this new identity in Christ, the things that normally divide people, race, wealth, status, gender, those things no longer matter because you're one in Christ. You see, back in, in that day, division, division ran very deep. Division still runs deep today, but back then it ran even deeper. Like I said, women were second-class citizens in that day. Jews and Greeks were divided based not just on race, but religion, based on culture. Everything divided them. A slave versus a free man, completely divided, completely, this huge barrier between those two groups of people. And so divisions ran deep, but but Christ comes along, and and Christ changed all that. Christ changed all that. And, And so if Christ can change that, then the good news is that he can change us. He can change us. I mean, can can you imagine if this were true of us as a youth group? Think of the things that divide us. The the list probably isn't much different than what we've already said. Race, wealth, status, gender. What divides us? Imagine if every person that's here was, was so overwhelmed with knowing Christ that all those barriers just simply disappeared. Imagine if, if, if Christ was, was your sole identity that you looked at and thought, that is who I am, and that other person, that, that is who they are. Therefore, I, I feel a kindred spirit. I feel a connection with this person just because of that one fact alone. How many of you guys have been, ever been to a, a foreign country before? Out of the country. Uh, anyone ever been to, like, not just Mexico or Canada? Um, or out of Texas, as you guys think this is your own country and all, you know. Uh, but you've been to, like, the far reaches of the planet. Anyone been, like, really, really far away? Okay. Where have some of you guys been? Where have you been? Germany? Yeah, that's pretty far. Zach? Israel? Cassie? Ukraine. Okay. Now, I want you to think, Travis, you, you lived in Africa, so you were long gone. Long way away. Uh, Take a bow, take a bow, take a bow. Uh, but if you ever thought about being in another country, I'm talking like the kind of place where you know the language, and being there alone and being away from your family, no one's there with you, I want to put you in your mind. Go to the most scary place for you to visit in, 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 your, in your own mind, and I'm going to put you in the middle of a town square during a riot. Okay? And no one there is American except you. And so you're walking through this town square. This is like a movie in the making, right? And you're walking through a town square trying to find someone that speaks your language. And just across the town square, you see through the crowd someone else who looks American. And you start to make your way to that person. And they make, your, they make their way to you as well. And you, you speak English words, and they understand them. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And so, so they speak to you, and... You have this connection, and you realize we're both American. Now, in this moment, because you're so lost, in this moment, what matters? 
The fact that they're American is all that matters. You don't care if they're tall, skinny, short, fat, you know, white, black. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're wealthy. It doesn't matter if they're poor. All you care about is that they're American. You found someone who is like you. And if I can make the analogy that, that if we can live out our faith that way, where the fact that you are a follower of Christ transcends everything else, and that fact is so pushed to the forefront that everything else is pushed to the background. How incredible. How incredible would, would, would this youth group be? How incredible would this church be if that were true of us? If the barriers came down. Now, just briefly, I'm not being hard on the ladies right now, but I'm going to say a couple things that might make a couple of you mad. So, um, But I want to talk to the girls just for a second. Because I've seen some things in my time here at this, at this church that um, have really kind of concerned me in this area. And, and I've seen girls say things like, look, me and her, we just don't get along. Me and her, like, we just, we just don't mesh, right? And there's backstabbing and backbiting and, and just all kinds of stuff going on. And backstabbing. We'll go with backstabbing. And so, but there's all this stuff going on, right? Like, I've, like honest, I've actually heard uh, girls in this youth group say things like, I'm not going on that trip because she's going. Or, I don't want to be in her room because I don't like her. And they will tell me this as if I'm not supposed to say, oh, uh, okay, okay. We won't, we won't challenge that at all. And I, I've heard this before. And, and so, it, it's as if, it's as if they have been predestined by the gods to hate each other. And they're just okay with it. Right? And so if... Yes, the gods, figuratively speaking. Lowercase g. Alright? But listen to me, listen to me. If, if, you are having, if you're having trouble accepting people, then you don't understand the gospel. If, if you can't accept people... Because, for whatever reason, then you don't get the gospel. So the question is, how do we change? How do we, how do we make changes there? We've got to go back to the gospel. When you realize that, that you've been fully accepted in Christ, not because of what you are, not because of your stuff, not because of your personality, your gender, whatever, you, whatever it is, not because of those things, you more easily accept other people in spite of the differences. When, when Christ consumes you, when Christ becomes the thing that supersedes everything else and your identity in Christ, then it makes it so much easier to accept other people and to love them the way that Christ wants you to. Look at the next uh, verse. Verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees, until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Here's what he's saying. Think of a wealthy family with kids. You can probably think of some of the Hollywood families out there that have just crazy, crazy wealth, and they've got kids that are spoiled rotten, make you sick. And, uh, 
And, and so when this child is first born, of course, the child pretty much is going to inherit millions, possibly billions of dollars. But when they're a baby, when they're a kid, they really can't handle that kind of responsibility. So what do they do? They postpone the inheritance delivery until later on, to when the parents pass away, and the person has the responsibility enough to be able to handle it, which for some that never comes. But for a time, for a time, they're treated like a child, almost like a slave. Like they don't, they've got all this stuff coming to them, but they don't really have access to it yet. They're still treated in some ways like a child or like a slave. They don't have any rights. And so Paul is saying that before you became Christians, before you became Christians, you were a slave. You were a slave. Every one of us, before we became a believer in Christ, we were a slave. Even the person, the person who is a, the hard partier, that thinks they're free, that thinks they're living the life they want to live, even that person, they're really a slave. They're enslaved to the desires of their body, to the pleasures they've been chasing after. But even the person who's not that way, even the person who is the self-righteous law follower, even that person is a slave. And here's the thing, guys, is that every single one of us is looking for freedom. Every single one of us is looking for some kind of freedom. Some try to find it in the party lifestyle. Some try to find it in the legalistic lifestyle. But we're all looking for for freedom. The question is, where are you trying to find it? Where are you trying to find your freedom? It's true that there's only Christ, only in Christ can He set you free. And the great thing is, is that Jesus Christ actually offers freedom to both kinds of people. He offers freedom to the, to the drunken partier. He says, come to me. Come to me. You don't need that. Your identity is in me. And He says to the, to the, to the self-righteous law follower, the legalistic person, He says, come to me. You don't have to follow rules to make yourself feel better about yourself. I've lived the perfect life that you can't live. Come to me. Your your new identity is in me. He offers salvation and freedom to both kinds of people. And so everyone's looking for freedom. The question is, where are you trying to find it? Look at verse uh, 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So when you start following Christ, something really cool happens. You're set free. You're set free, and and you move from being a slave to being a son. It's as if you get adopted. It's as if God himself adopts you. And this word to redeem actually means to set free. It's like if if, if I was a, a rich person, which I'm not, and if you were a slave, which you're not, and I were to come and purchase you, with my own money, and then set you free. That's what it means to redeem someone. This is exactly what Christ did for you and I. This is what Christ did. You see, back in that day, if if a wealthy man had no kids, if a wealthy man had no kids, he would he would select someone to be his heir. Most of the time, it was one of his slaves. He might have a slave that he really is just really fond of, really likes, gets along with, and he would actually legally adopt one of these slaves as his son and give him all the rights and privileges of what a son would have. It's profound. Someone else uh, said it this way. The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. 
all of his debts are canceled. And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. This is exactly what Christ has done for each one of you, if you're a follower of Christ. He has taken the, the debt that you owe, he's canceled it out, he has purchased you, and, and God now becomes your, your new father, this is your new family, and he's adopted you. Look at verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Here's what he's saying. This phrase, Abba Father, this is a, a very endearing phrase. This is the kind of phrase where, uh, back in that day, when, when a kid would call out to their daddy. This is what that phrase is. He's saying that you're able now to call out to God as if he were your daddy. I know you laugh at that idea, and it sounds kind of cliche and sort of weird, but He's saying that, that, that God has come close. God has invaded your life. You can, you can call him that. You can relate to him like that. When I think of my, my son is now 21 months old, and nothing is, is greater than when he just looks up and he has his arms up and he's just going in his own little way. He's going, Daddy, Daddy. You know, it, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And, and I can't help but just look down and just be in awe of that. And that's the picture. Whenever he needs something, whenever he is hurt, whenever he's injured, that's what he does. That's what he does. And, and this is so profound because God is telling you that whenever you are walking through life, that you are close. If you're following after Christ, God is close. Christ is close. You can call out to him. You can call out to him. You can call, you can call out to him in prayer. You can call out to him. And in and, and praise, you can call out to him and, and cry out in this way. If you're a Christian who feels like that, that God is distant, you're a Christian that feels like that all Christianity is is a bunch of theological ideas that just seem very far away, this verse shows us that we can experience God on a daily basis. If you're looking to experience God, this is how you do it. You, you walk through life. This affects the way you think, the way that you pray, the way that you talk to God, the way that you relate to God. This verse is telling us that not only do you have this new legal standing with God as an adopted son, but now you can call out to him and experience, and experience him as father to you. This is what this verse is saying. This changes everything in how you relate to God. And so I want to wrap up by telling a story. Uh, a while back, my wife Courtney has a friend from college that um, she's married, and, and they really can't have kids, so they decide to adopt someone. And they didn't just—they didn't decide to adopt just down the street. They decided to go to China to adopt. It's pretty incredible. And uh, so they went over to China to adopt this little boy named Jake. This is a picture of Jake here, and. Uh, you can kind of see like he's got um, surgery scars under his nose from having a cleft palate. And the crazy thing about China is that if you know anything about China with how they treat their children sometimes, it's that some parents, when they can't take care of their kids, what they will do is they will actually take their kid and drop them on the doorstep of an orphanage, knowing the orphanage will take them in, and try to adopt them out. And for some parents, I know this sounds crazy, for some parents, 
it's not an issue of them not loving their kid. It's an issue of they just can't afford to take their take care of their kid. They can't feed their kid. They know that their kids are going to die if they watch after them. So they almost have to do this for some people. For other people, they just leave their kids somewhere else just to die. And they don't have the compassion to drop them off on the doorstep of an orphanage. And so Jake was dropped off. He was had a cleft palate. In China, if you're someone who is not, you have some kind of external flaw, they might treat you that way. And so he was dropped off when he was a baby at an orphanage. They picked him up. And at two years old, he was adopted by our friends Ken and Debbie. And so they flew over for a few weeks and got to know him and everything. And, and it was, uh, we have some more pictures here to show you. Of, uh, that's, his, that's his new American mom. And uh, the next one I think is his father, his new father. And uh, next one is them all together. And the really cool thing is, uh, last month when I went to San Diego for a conference, they just happened to be there the same weekend. So we got to meet him and meet, see them once again as, as a couple. And, uh, and so, but you can just imagine just the joy this kid has now. He doesn't even really understand his joy yet because he can't really talk that well. But this is adoption. This is adoption. They will treat him as if he were their own because he is. He now is. That's a picture. That's a picture of what God has done for you and I. We spent today talking about what what adoption looks like spiritually. Next week we're going to dive into how it applies to your life and what it means for you. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for being a father to us, God. We forget so often that the fact that you're a father to us makes us your sons. And we forget that we have that relationship to you. God, I pray that, um, that this morning that you'd help us just to embrace that, help us to live that out, help us to be people who allow that to impact every corner of our life. And God, I pray that uh, you would help that picture to just sink deep into us this morning, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, if you're staying for the impact training meeting, we're going to meet here in this room. So just hang tight, and we have some people.